0: Hi, this is Tom Compton of We Hold These Truths. You're listening to the Unheralded News and Review and Pharisee Watch, brought to you by We Hold These Truths at whtt.org on the web. Each week we look into the events that are, for the most part, ignored or overlooked by the mainstream media. And we analyze these events. Ready,
1: set, let the sparks fly. In today's podcast for Unheralded News and Pharisee Watch... We're going to talk about the what appears to be an impending war in Iran. There's all kinds of activities going on that make you wonder. These wars just don't happen. There's a lot of planning. We've seen this in other wars that we've been dragged into in Iraq, for example. We were told about weapons of mass destruction, which were never found, and of course, our government knew this from the beginning, but they needed reasons for getting in into the the war and they've done this war after war uh, we've seen in our serial wars. Today we're going to focus of course on the war that the United States and particularly Israel wants to start in Iran. And the first item deals with attacks in
2: New Delhi and Georgia. Leslie? New Delhi attack reflects Iran's Limited Capabilities, Haaretz, Israel, February 14, 2012. Thai police on Monday found 400 boxes of bomb-making materials in a shop believed to be linked to a plot to carry out terrorist attacks. The materials, urea and ammonium nitrate, were found packed in electric fan boxes.
1: Now, another story that goes along with this was the attacks in New Delhi on an Israeli diplomat and also in a bomb placed under a car. And once you read that story.
2: After New Delhi attack, fears that Iran Israel attacks could escalate. JTA, Global News Service for the Jewish People, February 14, 2012. JTA writes. Israeli leaders blamed Iran for two assassination attempts late Sunday and early Monday in Tbilisi, Georgia, and in New Delhi, India. The bomb in Tbilisi was disabled before it could be activated, and the attack in India wounded the wife of an Israeli diplomat and her driver. Editor CE Answers A familiar pattern is emerging. First, we were told Iran had cooked up a scheme with Mexican drug lords to assassinate a Saudi diplomat, no doubt at a Mexican taco shop in Washington, D.C. No evidence found. Now it's Israeli diplomats in New Delhi and Georgia who are bomb targets, but the kill attempts were frail and amateurish and left no real damage. For instance, No bomb went off in Georgia, and the one that was exploded in New Delhi did not have enough power to blow up the gas tank of the auto or burn its tires. The Jewish wife on board escaped, we are told, with so little damage that the Israeli media declined to elaborate on her moderated injury. And how did it happen that the Israeli photographer was on hand to take a photo of the expulsion flash inside the car that did not burn the two passengers? The scorched auto looked like it could be driven off. Around Gaza, the Israeli bomb victims are usually sent to the hospital to observe them for shock when no other scratch can be found. Haretz comment. Was that the bombing showed how feeble Israel terrorism is, no doubt, in an effort to irritate the military proud Persians.
3: Well, of course, uh, Iran is in a spot. They have to respond to all these threats, and they have to either be real docile and say that we're not going to resist anything. We're just trying to make peace, or they. Uh, in the case, of, and that may that doesn't set well with their people, I guess. So what we have is we have. Iran coming out and saying, we're not going to let anybody do any of these things to us. You're not going to get away with us. us." Then Israel responds by talking about how militant Iran is. And all this is designed to stir up public fervor. And what the the attempt is, in our opinion, in my opinion in this case as the uh, editor, is that we're supposed to believe that Iran is just busy going around trying to kill Israelis at random. In the case of this bombing that took place in New Delhi, it happened in a public street in front of a public building, and uh, nobody was hurt. There was a dr- supposedly a driver in the car and a, and a wife of a diplomat, but th- there was a picture taken of this bomb going off, or at least an explosion, a fire flash inside of the car. But a later picture, after the fire went out, was uh, showed the car didn't even have the wheels burned off or the, uh, of course, obviously the gas tank wasn't exploded as normally happens in these cars, which is why the automobiles burst into flame and burn everybody in it. So it looks like a phony bomb. Either the whoever did it didn't have a, a good enough mechanism to actually blow up a car, or it was just designed to look like a terrorist attempt and uh, not hurt anyone. And then Israel has the advantage of uh, almost declaring war. In this case, Netanyahu's immediate response is, we're going to get them for this. And then a day or two later, Haritz pops out and says, this tends to show how incompetent Iranians are. They can't even build a decent bomb. So we're in a puzzle as to where we are in this whole idea of, of a new war. It's sort of a matter of taking public temperature. These things are done, and then we're all tested to see if we're ready to go to war or not, and if they can't get enough response, then they go back and try to think of something else. That's kind of the way we treat these things and the way I view them. might also comment on this other public thing that's been made public here in Thailand. They made this big announcement as though it's a huge terrorism discovery. But what they uncovered was that uh, some guy had 400 boxes. I don't know how big the boxes were, but they had ammonium nitrate and urea in them. And both of these are common agricultural products. Monium nitrate is the most common farm fertilizer. It will explode. It has to be set off by and detonated by a charge that's hotter. You can't just light a match to it and set it off. It has to be set off with a an explosive charge. In mining, they use it all the time, and it's a real cheap, low-grade fertilizer. It's called Prel in mining, and they have to explode it with a actually a stick of dynamite to make it go off. It was used in a couple of these big truck bombs where they load the truck with tons of this stuff, and then they attempt to explode it. Urea is even less dangerous. I don't even know of any, any use of urea in any kind of bomb-making or munitions. It's, it's basically a food supplement and or a fertilizer. It has a nitrogen product in it. So this big statement uh, was held in Haritz about finding this guy who had 400 boxes of this stuff, it's absolutely meaningless, and you could not make a sophisticated bomb like the ones that were used to blow up the scientist in Iran, who was a 32-year-old scientist who was recently killed by a car bomb. Uh, you have to have sophisticated explosives to do that. You can't do it with urea. So all of this is into the area of uh, steaming us up for more war and trying to take our temperature and see if we're ready to bomb Iran yet. Uh, Tom and Leslie, do you have questions or comments?
1: Well, of course, it was very easy to do that with Iraq and Afghanistan after 9 one So we were whipped up with a zealous fervor for patriotism. In fact, when they started the war in Iraq, the president said that if you weren't for what we were doing in the war, that you weren't uh, a true American. So it was a case that you couldn't even question what the government was doing and never mind that uh, as we mentioned earlier that the lie that they one of the lies that they used to sell us was not true that there were no weapons of mass destruction so this speculation about Iran the they don't even have the weapons they belong to the International Atomic Energy Association or I guess whatever agency and subject to inspections. Israel is not a member. They've never signed the nonproliferation treaty. So they're basically the rogue unit, but they're getting away with all this because they're the little buddy of the United States. So anything they do is okay. And so they've whipped up all these accusations against Iran, and it, it is amazing that... These things come about, certainly the explosion that killed the scientists there in in Iran was probably a little more scientifically and advanced as opposed to this crude weapon now being alleged done by the Iranians. So it does make one wonder about these things because of all the clamoring for war in Iran you need to be very suspicious and cautious about this. Uh,
3: yes, Tom, you're absolutely right. The bomb that killed the scientist in in Iran was highly sophisticated. It was so sophisticated that they just popped a little a little a magnetic bomb onto the side of the car, and it completely exploded the car, blowing up the, the gas tank and everybody in it, and and uh, it completely destroyed any sign of any possibility of life inside of the car there are explosives like that such as the ones that brought down the world trade center that are very sophisticated and and are used in demolition all the time to bring down buildings and all kinds of things that are made out of solid steel almost so there's a huge difference between creating a puff of smoke and by the way this woman who uh, was uh, the Israeli um, diplomat's wife. Um, there were some pictures of her. But the point was the press didn't even say what her injuries were. They just said she miraculously escaped this terrible explosion, and so did the driver of the car. And uh, then she disappeared, and they said that she had moderate injuries but never would. And none of the accounts have ever even said what those injuries were. Chances are she was suffering from um, self-imposed shock or something like that. One of the accounts said that she checked herself into the hospital after the event. So what we're seeing is a huge propaganda campaign to try to stir up public opinion to war. This is also being carried out in Syria. And, of course, I have to confess that when the Syrian incidents began, I assumed that that. Uh, Probably the the rioters and revolters were people that were unhappy with the price of food in Syria or something like that. But there's more and more evidence all the time that this is not really the case, that the Syrian people don't have any big beef with the government. They may not consider it to be uh, the ideal situation, but there's been a lot of indications from Syrians that, uh, that they're better satisfied with the situation there than many places in the Middle East. But we've now found out that there are, uh, there are uh, very activist-armed groups that are trying to overthrow the government there, and uh, they're not little local citizens' groups with homemade and smuggled weapons. They're well-financed, well-armed, and capable of uh, carrying out a war. And that's, that's going on at the same time in Syria. And there's one of the arguments that's been made by a couple of people is that the only thing that's keeping us out of war with Iran? Is that the question of whether we don't have to solve the problem of destroying the government of Syria first? And so maybe, maybe the the plan the under the plan that we're not hearing about is that uh, we're getting ready to uh, to send in somebody, uh, NATO or somebody, to destroy the Syrian government, and that has to have precedent over over iran because it got started first who knows what someone's plan is but there's definitely something uh, very sinister going on in syria this abc story said that twin suicide attacks rattled syrian city of aleppo that was uh, a couple of days ago more suicide bombs you want to read that
1: press tv reported the bombings in syria with no mention of suicide damascus blames outlaws, saboteurs, and armed terrorist groups for the violence, insisting that it is being orchestrated from abroad. Last week, the U.S. tried to pass a resolution against Syria to repeat Libya's war against the Assad government, but Russia and China vetoed the draft resolution describing negotiations as the only way to end violence in the country. And then ABC News, like Aleppo, the country's capital of Damascus has been a stronghold for embattled President Bashar al Assad and has been practically untouched for the 10 month long uprising that analysts say is on the brink of civil war. The last attack on the capital happened on January 6 when a suicide attacker reportedly killed 26 people. In December 2011, 44 people were reportedly killed in twin suicide bombings that targeted intelligence agencies' compounds in Damascus. Meanwhile, back in the rest of the city of Homs, this morning it has started raining as the shelling of pro-Assad forces continues. Activists say yesterday's violence left over 100 people dead, and they expect today to be worse. Now, press TV which is uh, Iran, reported Damascus blames outlaws, saboteurs, and armed terrorists, as are started out on the story there. And the comments from Chuck, most bombings in both Iran and Syria are attributed to suicide bombers, but the question is, are they? If all these bombings were by human bombs, why are they never identified and traced? Is it possible the term suicide bomb is used when we are not supposed to know who really did it? For instance, the hmm. U.S. or Israel-financed terrorist army working to overthrow the government of another Islamic state? We now know Israel is carrying out the bombings of Iran through People's Mujahideen, Iran, so why would we doubt Israel is in Syria? And that's a good question, Chuck.
3: Right, and... Um there's a lot of history of suicide bombs, uh, and they t- there were there were a number of, I think 57, suicide bombers who actually blew themselves up in in Israel during the course of the Intifada, and we studied all of those bombings, and in in every case they were able to find and identify the suicide bomber. Usually the next day Israel would go out to the home of the suicide bomber, they would find a, a parts body parts. I don't want to sound gruesome, but uh, but they always were able to find body parts, trace the suicide bomber, go out and destroy his parents' home. That was standard practice in you know, to, to discourage uh, the, this practice during the Intifada and uh, they took it out on the parents of the suicide bombers and the family next of kin uncles whoever whoever he had uh, but they never had any problem figuring out that the, with their modern laboratory methods uh, that with, with tracing down who The suicide bombers were. So now we have all these suicide bombings that have been going on in Iraq for years. We have had many, many reports of suicide bombings. And in a few cases, they've identified suicide bombers, but in most cases, we don't hear any more of it. It's just, it was the work of a suicide bomber, and that's the end of it. The same is the case in all these suicide bombings we're hearing about. We never hear them come back and say this was done by the son of a so-and-so or or a foreign alien who was operating in a country or any other explanation. Uh, And, of course, the obvious thing that we get from this, it suggests if it was a suicide bomber that this is a work of one individual mad fanatic who hates someone and is willing to throw away his life to get even. And uh, this is very healthy for for the cause of revolutionary gangs who are trying to uh, overthrow the government, because they don't want the government, they don't want the newspapers to come out and say, a well-armed uh, organization operating in Syria has just uh, killed 44 citizens. They want to be able to attribute it to one person who is nuts. And that's why, I think, and uh, the evidence is pretty clear, that these, uh, probably, uh, most of these are, are or many many of them are not suicide bombers.
2: I was going to say, uh, I think uh, part of the war is being run by sociologists, not just by the military. They're measuring our reactions, like you say, and uh, judging where to go from there, yeah. uh, how to proceed.
3: That's right. Gradually building. In a
2: military fashion. And, and yeah. they've
3: built it. Now, now the government of Syria has now been portrayed as, as uh, absolute total villains without any redeeming grace whatsoever. And the same was done with uh, uh, in Libya with Muammar Gaddafi. And chaos is now developing in Libya. And uh, we have a story that, uh, that, that about what's going on in, in Iraq that is the afterthought of all of this. What is the result of, of our, our acts? One of the stories...
1: Oh, this story you're talking about is from, um, reported by CNN, February the 14th. Human rights groups calls for Iraq to end executions. Human yeah. Rights Watch noted that Iraq has executed at least 65 prisoners since the year began, 40 days ago. 51 of the executions occurred in January and 14 so far this month. It said the Iraqi government seems to have given state executioners the green light to execute at will, said Joe Stork, Deputy Middle East Director at Human Rights Watch. The government needs to declare an immediate moratorium on all executions and begin an overhaul of its flawed criminal justice system. Well, my comment to that is they just learned their lesson from the United States from the occupation, I guess, quite well for being there now almost nine years in Iraq. The war started, of course, in 2003. And we know about the Abu prison where the um, torture of prisoners was done under the direction of the U.S. Army. So uh, this kind of thing, I guess, is, is deplorable, but it's not to be unexpected.
3: Uh, and, Tom, uh, there's no question that this government of Iraq that's doing this is the government that we gave them. We, uh, we, we occupied the country just as Israel occupies Palestine. We uh, settled all issues. We destroyed everybody that we thought we needed to destroy. And then we set up a government, which we proclaimed to be the elected government of, of Iraq, and that is the government that people are now reporting on about these human human rights violations. And uh, and this is unthinkable. That uh, who are these 65 prisoners who have been uh, executed since the beginning of the year? I don't know. Is there that much uh, crime in crime in Iraq? Uh, and who's making these decisions?
1: Well, we know there's a lot of corruption there in Iraq. I mean. There's been billions of dollars that have been uh, used as bribes. You know, they've they've got billions of dollars from the U.S. government that uh, they don't know where it's gone. And so, yeah, it's probably like the old west uh, there. Mm-hmm. I'd almost yeah. guess.
3: <laughs> Worse than the old west, we've turned. Yeah, we've turned uh, the key to the reservation over to the to the government that's there. Right. And we really don't know what's going on, and we don't know if there is any justice there of any kind or not. And we su- there's reason to suspect there's, that there's what justice there is whatever the government dictates. Obviously, uh, these these people are being tried and executed in short order. They say 2,000 since uh, uh, since 2004.
1: Okay, well that ends our report for tonight, ladies and gentlemen. And when you uh, Leave your house. Be sure to look to the left and right to make sure no wars are coming in your neighborhood because they are coming all over the world here, unfortunately. Thanks
0: for listening. Be sure to tell a friend about our podcast. And please visit our website, whtt.org. You will find a wealth of information and resources like the latest Pharisee Watch and unheralded news articles. Also, you can order our new video, Christian Zionism, The Tragedy and the Turning, Part 1. Even though this video is copyrighted, we don't mind if you copy it, as long as you copy all of it. Then you can educate your friends and acquaintances about the dangers of Christian Zionism. Start small, think big, and press on toward the straight gate.